Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. On this episode, we recap Florida's loss at Alabama. Uh, talk about you know what went wrong and what we thought was a, a pretty disappointing performance by the Gators. But chance to bounce back against their rival uh, Saturday night in the O'Connell Center. Uh, Kentucky limps into town 3-6, and six, but the Wildcats have won two in a row. Uh, also getting Keon Brooks, one of their uh, only veteran players, back. So, uh, big game for the Gators. One they really need to win. Keep their uh, SEC title hopes uh, very much alive early in the season. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. And Happy New Year. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Florida, you know, I was trying to figure out how I was going to put this. We'll just say Florida loses its first conference game. Uh, technically, I guess they did play the game against Florida State and lose. Um, I feel like everyone in the country, including the NCAA tournament committee, is pretty much just going to throw that game out. But the Gators fall on the road at Alabama. Uh, it was close for... 24 minutes, and then really Alabama kind of just pummeled Florida in the second half. Well, Florida jumped out to that 5-0 lead, and uh, I think that that might have been their only lead. I know it was their largest <laughs> lead, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they come out, get a couple quick buckets, and uh, then, of course, Scotty Lewis picks up a couple fouls. He uh, he comes out, things start to look not as good, and, and while Florida made the one run right at the top of the second half to, to tie it up again, uh, Alabama pretty much punched in the mouth after that and, and Florida didn't have the chance to, to come back. And ultimately, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, Florida loses by 15. Uh, it's not like that's a small spread by any stretch of the imagination, but in a lot of ways, it almost, you know, it, it, it felt like it was more, it kind of felt like Florida, uh, lost even more. So, uh, yeah, generally a frustrating one when I'd say that, um, there was some things that went, uh, decently well on the offensive side, but I would say on a whole, not a not a great offensive uh, game. And then um, d- defensively, just uh, a lot of problems in multiple multiple ways. So yeah, when you uh, uh, when you don't really play well enough on either side of the ball to win, uh, yeah, that's how you uh, lose pretty deflating games. You know, I would gonna add one thing that I think is is important is that uh, Alabama played really well, and and I you know I think sometimes we get so caught up in all the things that go wrong that we don't sometimes recognize that, you know, an opponent plays a really good game. Uh, I thought Alabama was terrific in a lot of ways Tuesday night. They really were. And uh, I mean, playing without their, their point guard, Javon Quinterly, who's uh, one of their, one of their most productive players. I, I don't know what, what you could, you could certainly argue, uh, argue best. Um, I don't, I don't know where you'd put him, but uh, certainly one of the most productive. And uh, when that happened, you know, I was feeling pretty good about the game for Florida going in. And then I saw Quinterly was going to be out and I said, well, there's a, you know, a pretty key part of their transition attack. I think they're not going to be their same, uh, their same kind of game plan transition wise. Well, I was wrong and they seemed uh, to attack Florida easily in transition. And, uh, but yeah, you, you look at Alabama, they, they defended really well. They, and then offensively, they, 
saw weakness in, in Florida's defense and they attacked it and they attacked it and they attacked it and, uh, and had really good success. And then, um, of course the, the thing that I think was, uh, most impressive, they really harped on it on the broadcast, um, maybe slightly too much. Uh, it got a little <laughs> repetitive. Um, but it was, it was accurate. I mean, they were so, so, so disciplined, um, from a shot selection standpoint, I like, like I honestly, I, I don't even want to sound hyperbolic in a game that, that Florida obviously lost and, um, lost badly. And, you know, those are situations where you can be prone to hyperbole, but I honestly can't think of a time where I've watched a game where a team has been so disciplined, um, with their shot selection. And I mean, uh, you know, I watched, you know, Gonzaga tonight, uh, Gonzaga a bunch of times. They're, they're, they're one of the best college offenses I've seen in a long time. And even then I'm like, Oh, every once in a while, someone is going to take a little bit of a heat check, take a little bit of a, a shot out of the flow of the offense but like man you look at that alabama game and everything was a was a open look at a three or a layup at the rim and they just they just did not waste possessions and um i thought florida wasted a lot of possessions with bad shots and uh that ultimately was was probably you know i I would say a large reason of of why the score was what it was yeah i agree with that and one thing i wanted to point out quickly at the top was you know that i don't think you know, the rebounding got a lot of attention on the broadcast as well. But by the end of the night, you know, Florida is out rebounded by, by five. And if you ask some of our listeners, they probably would have said it was 50. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Florida also equal to Alabama on the offensive glass. So the box score tells a little bit of a different story about this toughness narrative that, had kind of emerged. And I I wanted to talk about that because I do think Florida lost a chance when they were executing it at a high level offensively, which was the first half. Um, You know, for much of the first half, I thought Florida executed at a pretty high level uh, and had a chance to kind of stretch the lead, but Alabama was able to get second chance points on the glass and second chances. And they converted multiple three pointers on second chance opportunities, Eric, and it kept them in the game. And I thought the broadcast did a nice job of pointing that out. What I don't think they pointed out. And I think some of this gets into Jimmy Dykes, just loving to say his catchphrases uh, like hard to guard and Valentine and whatever number seven in white or whatever the hell he says is, is that, uh, you know, some of these rebounds were ridiculous. It was like Florida has a boxed out player a player boxed out in Omar Payne, you get a long rebound because the shot is such a bad miss and it goes to guys who aren't in good rebounding position and then they kick out and make a three. That was three to four to five of their offensive rebounds in the first half, not making excuses. It's just sometimes it's not about toughness. And one criticism, I think there are a lot of criticisms and I'm going to get into some of them on this show and I promise my rants over here, Eric, but I don't think criticizing this Florida team thus far as quote, not being tough or being soft is a valid criticism at all. This is a team that almost saw one of their teammates die on the floor. And by the way, they looked plenty tough enough against one of the best rebounding and more physical programs in the country in LSU over the weekend. This wasn't a toughness loss. I thought, I thought it was an execution loss particularly on the defensive side of the ball and a schematic loss, which I'll get into in a bit. Like 99% of the time where someone says um, this team is tougher than this team, uh, it's not as much analysis as it is, well, lazy analysis. 
Um, when you see a team getting out rebounded and you don't know why the teams are getting out rebounded, the lazy way to say it is, oh, that team's just tougher than the other team. Um, it's very, it's just lazy analysis most of the time. And I thought that was the case. Uh, that was the case this time around. I don't think that Florida lacked for toughness. I think it was a schematic problem. I think that Florida kept switching over and over and over again. Um, I would suggest when they shouldn't have switched, um, because Alabama was eating them up in mismatches. And, uh, so you saw, you saw times where you know Colin Castleton was out on an island and he was getting beat one-on-one by a guard which is I thought Castleton actually played some of those drives pretty good uh, but got scored on because you know he's still a six foot eleven guy guarding on the perimeter against a talented guard and there wasn't always help for him um, but the other thing was you're in situations where Noah Locke or Tyree Appleby was then switched on to a five man for Alabama and they're trying to you know they're trying to box out a six foot 10 guy. And that doesn't always go well for six foot two guards. So, um, yeah, you like toughness, like, no, that's, that's just lazy analysis. It's also just like, um, when a team loses and, and you can't break down schematically why that team lost. And they're just like, Oh, well, uh, guess, uh, guess they didn't want it as much as the team that won like that. Those are always just like the buzzwords that just like, yeah, really, they, they, they grind my gears. I mean, I, I have done very little, um, uh, broadcast work, um, yeah. doing just a couple of university games up here in Canada and some, uh, some high school games. So I, you know, I shouldn't try to, uh, maybe claim that I, I, I know so much better, but, uh, there are certainly some pet peeves that, uh, that get to me, um, from a broadcast and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of schematic things to, uh, to criticize, uh, Florida for and some execution things you can criticize them for, but I, I will not be criticizing them for toughness. No. And, and look, I thought, it was a schematic issue. You mentioned the switching. I thought Florida's switching also got them in trouble on help side defense because Florida was either late a lot to provide help side defense or they got lost in switches uh, against, you know, some of the Alabama wings that, um, you know, are peeling off. When, when Alabama did straight line drives, the Tide really do a nice job of presenting two options to the straight line driver, right? Like there's one guy who kind of peels towards the basket and then the other guys are all available for for the kickout threes because they know that those are the highest percentage shots right they want to get something at the rim or they want to get something outside you know jimmy dykes did do a nice job of explaining that but florida would get lost help side a lot defending those straight line drives we saw it early with herb jones where the help side was either late to arrive or stuck in a switch uh and then we saw it really pretty continually early in the second half when Alabama really stretched the lead. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was different people, whether it was uh, Jordan Bruner, who, who hurt Florida as kind of uh, that point forward, almost Watford-like position. Um, or, you know, I thought Josh Primo had some really nice moments. He only had two assists in the game, Eric, but it seemed like he had three or four where the second pass after uh, Primo made a play, resulted in in a basket, you know. So, you know, Primo, I thought for a freshman that that didn't impact the box score from a points perspective, did nice things passing the ball. Uh, And and Florida really didn't have much of a schematic answer for uh, straight line drives. And certainly, I thought, should have stopped switching and and, uh, attempted to defend a bit differently. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've got to, you know, just dump off some stuff here, but, uh, so going, going into the game, Alabama was in the 40th percentile nationally as a pick and roll offensive team. So a below average pick and roll offensive team. And 
you know, if you went into that game and you didn't know that, you would have thought that the Gators, you know, you would have thought Alabama was one of the best pick and roll teams in the country and Florida wanted to take them out of it. Because when you switch every on-ball screen, you're kind of taking away a lot of teams' pick and roll uh, ability a lot of the time. And you're saying, hey, we're just not going to worry about hedging or, um, you know, going hugging under or doing any kind of pick and roll defense. You just you just switch it and you say, ah, we're not going to get beat as much on this pick and roll. So Alabama ended up only taking 14 pick and roll possessions. Um, which did go very, very well for them. Um, they scored 16 points on those 14 possessions, um, which brings the Gators to um, the 322nd ranked pick and roll defense in the country. That was 322nd for the Gators who, uh, yeah, just no really way else to slice it. The Gators are one of the worst pick and roll defenses in the country. So maybe they saw that and, and going into this game, Florida was not a great pick and roll defensive right. team. So maybe they're trying out a different strategy, but um, yeah, the, this, this switching just wasn't particularly working. And then it went to these isolation possessions where uh, where um, Alabama had 16 isolation possessions and they scored 17 points on those 16 possessions. Ooh. So those were very fruitful as well on for a possession that is um, generally not particularly fruitful, um, especially getting over points per point per game in, in, in isolation. That's um, that's pretty impressive. So. Um, so that just kind of speaks to how, you know, the, the number of things that, that didn't go well, but, uh, man, I've got to say, like, we can look at Omar Payne getting beaten switches. We can get, we can look at Colin Castleton getting beat on switches, but I, I mean, what really concerns me, um, is the fact that, you know, Scotty Lewis is, is supposed to be one of this team's best defensive players and he was getting beat straight one-on-one drives um anthony deruji is an incredible athlete with great length he was getting beat on on straight line drives and and though that i mean that's what really concerned me i mean again you can look at the florida's five men getting caught on switches with ones and two guards and and giving up buckets and say like well like maybe we want to try to stay out of those rotations but those guys did about as well as they could um which i thought especially con castleton played pretty well even on a couple of the possessions he got scored on um but man if if um you know, if Anthony Drugi and, and Scotty Lewis are going to get blown by um, by players that are, you know, some, you know, really, you know, solid one on one players. But, man, I would say no one on no one on Alabama was was going to be the best perimeter score Florida's seen this year. And those were getting by Florida's, you know, quote unquote stoppers. So I think that's the stuff that that really makes you look at um, what can the ceiling for this team be um, if that's the case defensively. Yeah, no, I think those are great points. And, I, you know, I, I thought that Scotty Lewis also hurt himself by committing silly fouls, right? And I thought getting into foul trouble with two bad fouls, uh, I didn't have the analytics. And it's one question I was going to pose for you was I was wondering what Alabama's points per possession was with Lewis on the floor and Lewis off. Because um, while I didn't think Scotty necessarily defended those straight line drives well i did notice that florida had a much better grasp on the basketball game when lewis was on the floor in the first half uh, but lewis took himself out of the game and alabama was able to not just come back and take the lead in the the mid-20s but then stretch the lead before halftime obviously florida gets lewis back on the floor they get a quick bucket and tie the game very fast um and then you know Almost no sooner than that happened, Lewis picked up the third foul on kind of a hustle play where he didn't need to foul. Um, and so I thought two of Scotty's first three fouls, a silly flop and kind of, you know, a hustle play reach that Eric and I have talked about on this podcast before, um, 
hurt Florida. And, and Scotty, if Scotty's going to be a veteran leader, which he kind of has to be on this team, is that unfair as, as a sophomore? Maybe, but that's the hand that Florida has been dealt with the sec player of the year watching from the sidelines, Eric. Uh, yeah, so uh, Scotty Lewis was uh, his plus minus was zero, which in a game you lose like you did is 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 pretty good. Um, looking at some of Florida's other starters, um, Colin Castleton was minus sixteen, Noah Locke minus eleven, Tyree Appleby was minus fifteen, um, Anthony Jerusi was clearly last at minus twenty three. Um, but yeah, I mean Scotty Lewis, even though he was off the floor for for a lot of the, the game, he still I think played twenty minutes and was uh, uh, was an even. So I would say that's. Uh, uh, while again, plus minus doesn't always tell you the whole story. It actually seldom tells you the whole story. Um, I would say when uh, a lot of the other starters, you know, your starters and six man are all um, in the teens for, you know, negative teens and Scotty Lewis is a zero um, that points to uh, that. The fact that, that he played pretty good, a pretty good game um, though, you know, shout out to the garbage time boys, uh, you know, Niles lane with a plus six and Samson Rusensev uh, from the parking lot, uh, plus six as well. <laughs> Samson or Sensev definitely buried a three from the parking lot, which I had the unexpected like three DMs as soon as he hit that shot. Why doesn't he play more? And I'm like, well, have you seen this team's like imagine the way Florida has defended at times against LSU and Alabama. And the reason he's not playing more is because he's worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, You know, and and the, the staff, again, it gets them into trouble. Like how, how candid they are, but I mean, they've said there's been issues defensively. You know, Florida entered the game against Alabama in the twenties and Kim Palm defense drops all the way to 30, 41st. Now, if you want to feel a little better, uh, Tennessee had a lot of problems as good as they are on defense defending, uh, Alabama too. In fact, they had dropped from all the way, uh, they, they had been fourth Eric, and dropped to 11th and then went back to second after playing Arkansas. So uh, <laughs> I think it's a very good Alabama team that, that had a mystifying lo- couple of mystifying losses uh, early in the season when maybe they weren't as disciplined in shot selection. Uh, and I think we should shift to Florida's offense now, which I thought was pretty good in the first half. Although let's start with Noah Locke, Eric, because it, the book is out on him as he's, as he's now a junior. I mean, teams are daring him to drive, and Noah is trying to drive, uh, but it's just not going particularly well for Noah Locke. No, and I mean, this is the first game, and, and again, I... Um... I don't like playing like body language doctor. Again, I, you know, I talked about lazy analysis in the past regarding, uh, you know, toughness or who wants it. And uh, I might be like dipping my toe in in that water um, this time, but, and maybe again, maybe this is just because in a quiet gym, you can, you can, you know, you can hear the coaches so much better. Uh, but this game, you could see Mike White was just furious when the ball was sticking in Noah Locke's hands. Uh, there was one time where he, uh, you know, especially went aggressively for a, for a sub for Ty- Tyree Appleby getting him in the game in the, the second half where um the ball got swung to to lock and and again so many times this game it stuck because you know what like i don't know if he was like coached to like hey if you think you can take your guy like go one-on-one or uh that's something that's kind of his prerogative but i thought the ball has stuck in noah lock's hands too much for a player that's not a good one-on-one player and uh yeah there was a time the ball got reversed him he stared down the defense took a jab 
took another jab, swung the ball side to side, or you know, from one side of his body to the other to see if he could get the the defense to shake. And and White is just screaming at him to move the ball, and he took a jab after that, and then eventually moved it. And um, then he yelled for Tyree Appleby. And uh, it seems that um, as much as the book is out on him for uh, you know the way other teams play him, uh, looks like like White is is kind of. Um, starting to show some of that frustration as well in terms of, um, again, the way that if he can, the moment he catches the ball, uh, you know, Locke is the most dangerous. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of an old, you know, coach's adage that um, you're you're never going to be as open as you are when you first catch the ball. And uh, with Noah Locke, that's just so true. The moment he catches the ball, he's most dangerous. And with every split second, he holds on to it, whether that's not moving, um, especially, or whether it's him dribbling, he just becomes so much less dangerous of a player. And uh, which, which again, is, is pretty kind of interesting when um, you, you look at his box score and it was like, well, he was three for six from three, which is, which is great. Um, one, one for five from two, which is, uh, what you're going to get when you shoot a lot of bad floaters, um, repeatedly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's not like his numbers were, were devastating, um, especially being three for six from three, you'd think like, oh, that's a positive, you know, positive production. And, and again, it's just like one of those, you, you had to be there, you had to watch it. And, and it just, uh, right. the ball, ju- the ball just lost energy when it was in his hands. And, um, yeah, I, I really do love Noah Locke and uh, love his love his demeanor, love his personality, and I think he brings such a valuable skill set in his ability to hit shots. It's just that it's a man he can he he makes the game tougher on himself. Like it, it true that that is truly yeah. the case. I think Noah Locke makes the game tougher for himself, and uh, uh, that can make it that when he goes three for six from from three, that it can still be kind of a rough game for him. Yeah, it really can, and and I think. Noah only had the one turnover, right? Like he's always been pretty careful with the basketball, uh, but but he does. He just complicates things for himself, and and that was a shame on a night where I thought you know Florida got a pretty darn good performance from Trey Mann, uh, who who had three steals, super active defensively, eleven points, six assists, a lot of a lot of good stat sheet stuff from him. Uh, some really nice moments from from Colin Castleton. Uh, some some nice moments in seven minutes from Quez Glover, I thought, uh, who, you know, I don't necessarily think is as anxious to fire up a billion shots, although I'm looking at the box score now, I can see that he managed to get three up in seven minutes. But I think a couple of those were late. So. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, Florida just, I don't think, moved the ball well enough uh, on offense. And, and you really have to do that against Alabama – um, because they're going to extend you. So if you move the ball, you're going to have chance to, to attack seams in the defense. Florida didn't do that. They really missed Keontae Johnson in that respect, Eric. Well, they, they, they really do. And this is the first game, obviously, that you, that you really felt it. Um, and uh, one thing I thought was pretty interesting was that um, – so, he, so here's another crazy stat. Um, I think I've alluded to – well, I, I slightly alluded to how much that Florida has isolated themselves um, in past games, showing that they have uh, ran at least, you know about as many isolations as they have pick and rolls. Um, though that number is when you know pick and rolls have gone up now slightly more after this Alabama game. Um, but yeah, we're now at the point where Florida has ran more pick and rolls than any other team, or sorry, more isolation possessions than any other team in the country. Which I never thought that I'd say. Really, I never thought that was <laughs> going to be Florida's team that that they run more isolations than anybody. And again. 
again, um, the fact that they kind of decided that that was going to be the the game plan against against Alabama was uh, was an interesting one to me. Um, and it, it even like it was it was kind of funny too because we even look at the first possessions of the game, and one of them was uh, it, it was really interesting. It was like if Florida was playing like continuity isolations, where like the ball would move to one side, there was an isolation. Um, then if it wasn't there, there'd be a cross screen for like Colin Castleton to duck in, and maybe he'd get a post touch. And then if it didn't, the ball got swung for for an isolation on the other side and um and scotty lewis ended up scoring a tough tough jumper and um early when the to, to make it five zero uh but uh and, and it was great that he hit the shot but again it was like oh this is a this is a pretty interesting strategy and 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 again it ultimately ended up being there there being so many two-point shots whether it was floaters or whether it was uh pull-up attempts and like uh, man it's been really odd because you know anthony jerusi is a guy who came in to start the season um shot everything he touched um, then he kind of settled it down. It was like, oh, this is great. Like he's um, playing within himself, taking good shots, and he looks like such a better player. And then like, man, he came out against Alabama and just wanted to take every pull-up attempt he could. And man, like, you know, uh, not to be rude here, but I mean, man, he had a couple of times where he caught the ball, had an okay look at the three, hesitated, waited for his defender to get there, then gave a half-hearted pump fake, then a one-dribble pull-up from two. And like, honestly, in that moment, I saw DeAndre Ballard. Um, that's my slightly rude comment. But I mean, cool. like, uh, that's that's what got him into trouble. And that's what's getting Anthony Derugia into trouble. And once again, it's just crazy that like there was to play against Alabama, who is so, so disciplined. Um, I tweeted this out. Um, the fact that, uh, uh, for Florida or, or sorry for Alabama, they took one, uh, two point attempt that was further than nine feet, um, from the hoop and Florida took 15. So, you know, you get in a game like that and that's like, you know, that, that, that's, if you're going to take a bunch of tough twos against a team that's getting all shots at the rim and threes, that's like me saying like, Hey Neil, um, you know, let's, let's shoot dice. Um, I'll give you six dice and I'm going to take four dice. And I, and I think I can outroll you with four dice that to your six. I mean, that's what you're doing. If you're going to say, I'm going to take floaters and two point jump shots against shots at the rim and, and shots at three, you're just putting, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage right from the get go. And then you're, you, you know, you're hoping to get, to get really hot if, if you're going to make up that deficit. So, uh, yeah, tough lesson for Florida, but I, I think that if Florida's coaching staff is trying to communicate to their players, like a Noah Locke taking floaters or like an Anthony Deruji taking pull-up attempts, uh, it's a pretty easy learning experience to say like, hey, did you see how he got beat real bad last night by uh, by a team that was really disciplined in their shot selection? Um, you, you, like that, that should be an easy teaching moment, I would think. Yeah, one would hope so. Uh, and I hope it's a teaching moment for the staff too. I, I don't want to leave them out of this because I you know, I was just disappointed in in both Florida's offensive philosophy, particularly in the second half when they really got isolation heavy and um in the uh, and in defense with with the switching and the lack of help side defense uh adjustments. I, I'm just not sure what the adjustments were, if there were any uh defensively you know, it certainly didn't seem to show, uh, Eric. And, you know, I don't think that Florida really got over-reliant on the pick and roll. It was almost like they gave up on it when they had a couple empty possessions uh, on it. And, and you know, Alabama wasn't really defending it at a high level in the first half. No, uh, and I mean, credit to... Uh... Credit to, to uh, Trey Mann, who's a threat, and credit to Colin Castleton, who has so much gravity as a as a role man. And it's uh, uh, it's you can see the way that, t- that teams are defending it. They have they have respect for it. But uh, once again, I just see that Florida is um, uh, 
they've decided that they're going to let their guys go one-on-one a lot. And and again, I think for Tyree Appleby, uh, who, man, Tyree Appleby, I can't believe we haven't said his name yet. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he played as well as this stat line would indicate, uh, but 18 points, the fact, the, the way that he found a way to get 18 points on, I think, six of 12 shooting. Um, you know, he had a couple turnovers, but he had a couple good assists. Uh, I thought, you know, Tyree Appleby was one player who was like, man, like, you know, we've talked about how you need to have players who can make, plays one-on-one against good defenders. Well, Trey Mann had some moments, uh, didn't play awesome. Uh, but Tyree Appleby, you know, was, was the best at that. And I think like that should be an indication of, you know, things to come that man, Tyree Appleby stared down a bunch of long defenders at Alabama that were shutting everyone else down. And he's the one guy who could kind of continually get free. Uh, but again, yeah. So, so I mean, Florida got, got very reliant on, on the isolation when I, I didn't think it was, uh, uh, the, the best move for them. Um, and then, yeah, I was just, I, I really was surprised by the way that they, they stuck to the switching defense when the things that were killing them was straight line drives and, and offensive rebounds. And to, 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 again, like I, I talked about it earlier, but there was that moment where, um, you know, they're, they're just setting like small rub screens and, and Florida switching it. And, uh, and then they're just like, okay, well, like I, you know, Jaden shackle for it or, um, or, you know, Herb Jones is like, oh, great. I've got, um, got Colin Castleton on me. And there was that point where they scored two back-to-back layups on straight line drives on Colin Castleton. And I, I mean, on the second one, Castleton, who once again, I'll say this for like the fourth time, this podcast, I thought he played it pretty well for a six eleven guy guarding in space. And he just like looked around and was like, man, like, and, and I know he wouldn't say it, but I was like, man, yeah, I feel like he just got left on an Island again. Like they weren't even setting a screen that was really threatening to attack and Florida was still switching it. And um, yeah, Colin Castleton as well. Uh, the other thing I want to know, unrelated but just uh in the whole like loving this quiet gym thing was when uh you know florida had a couple scrambled defensive uh transition possessions and uh uh and then uh you know florida gets a foul and and call castleton just yells he's like hey guys like we gotta talk about it and i love that it yeah. picked up that yeah. on the broadcast and uh once again show some leadership from the guy but uh yeah yeah just not a not a great night uh we spent half an hour on it anything else that that you really wanted to cover because I, I well we did kind of do coach's corner on, on what Florida uh, is trying to do offensively. We, you know, we ended up integrating that into, into our chat. So was there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on before we get into a big game Saturday? Uh, I want to ask you one question. Um, This was the other kind of, uh, well, I won't, I won't call it an anomaly because you might not feel like it's an anomaly. So Florida shoots uh, 36% at the rim. Um, well below national average, um, well below Florida's average and well below what Alabama allows at the rim. Do you think that Florida just missing, um, all those shots at the rim? Do you think that that was, you know, I'll, I'll ask this question. Like it's, you know, like a social studies, you know, question uh-huh. to, to, to what extent was that, um, Florida legitimately struggling? And, uh, to what extent was that, uh, you know, quote unquote, just one of those nights? You know, I thought to some extent, Eric, it was just one of those nights. And I say that because Alabama is in the hundreds in block percentage. So, you know, I think obviously Herb Jones is is an elite college basketball defender. Uh, but but how many like guys on Alabama's team do you go, oh, there's a rim protector, right? I don't think Florida was getting lost in the trees in there like you can against Tennessee, right? I just thought Florida failed to finish. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I do think a lot of like there was definitely some attempts where I thought that um, Alabama was able to just totally converge on on 
Gators and they just weren't really prepared to pass out of it. And it just seemed like every time that they sent, uh, you know, a second defender and Florida didn't punish them by maybe taking an escape dribble and finding an open shooter or cutter, uh, it just kind of gave Alabama more and more trust that they could double down or triple down and, and they weren't going to get beat. And by the end of the game, it was just guys getting getting swarmed on the inside. But yeah, there were some moments from Colin Castleton. We've shown or we've, we've seen that he's got really good touch inside. Um, he missed some, um, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, Daruji, I thought he missed out on some that, that he would normally make, uh, you know, Trey Mann missed out on some layups that I thought were, you know, maybe one of them, I thought there could have been a foul. He had a couple just barely spill out on what seemed to be like, oh yeah, th- this is what I want to talk about, Neil. The like bizarrely tight rims at Alabama where like <laughs> five balls like bounced off the rim and hit the top of the backboard in the first three minutes. And it was, uh, and I mean, we were, we were texting and me and Neil were about like how bizarre it was that there was like some of these three point attempts were like the third bounce on the rim. It like got more inertia, like bounced higher and hit the top of the backboard. Uh, but there was also some moments with Trey Mann where it just like, the ball was halfway down and spilled out in a moment for Scotty Lewis where the ball was halfway down and spilled out. So, I mean, I do think it was kind of one of those nights for the Gators where it just really didn't seem like things were going their way, whether it was some of those tough calls on, on Scotty Lewis, whether it was some of those missed layups. I, I, I mean, I, I, I swear this happened. I was, I had typed it out to Neil that I was like, well, there was a moment where, you know, Florida was like, maybe like maybe getting back in the game and, and, and Noah Locke went to go shoot a, a one and one. And I was like, I could not have been more certain that he was going to miss the end, the front end of the one and one. And there's like, no, no reason why, other than it just seemed like nothing was going Florida's way and the layup or the, the free throw bounced out. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that this is like a cause for concern that Florida just had an awful performance finishing finishing at the rim um and i will hope that that's the case because uh yeah you're not going to uh not going to win too many games shooting that that poorly in the paint yeah i mean the gators didn't play well i didn't think they were particularly coached well uh it's a bad night uh, they were on the road against a really good team um you know somebody got in a semantical debate with me on twitter i forget who it was about whether alabama was excellent or very good and i just kind of retreated to very good i'm like all right whatever it doesn't matter. You can't play the way Florida did when you play a very good NCAA tournament team on the road and you're not going to win. So uh, it was a, it was the first arena that was kind of loud despite the capacity restrictions too. I don't know if they were just charged up over Devonta Smith winning the Heisman or, or just fired up for Florida because they hadn't beaten Florida in Tuscaloosa since 2006. Um, you know, whatever it was, you know, it was a little noisy at times and, and Florida didn't play well and they've got a rally quick because they have uh, their rival Kentucky coming to Gainesville Saturday night. Yes, this was, uh, I tweeted this out earlier, uh, partially because it's hilarious and partially because it shocked me, but this will be a, uh, a quadrant three game for the Gators, which, uh, you know, I say this <laughs> truly not to, like I say this truly not to troll, but also 100% to troll like this is a bad loss the gators need to avoid like and that's uh, i mean i it's it sounds funny to say that it's kentucky but the fact of the matter is like last year's quadrant 3 games were like playing at home against towson and playing at home against marshall and now yep. this year it's playing against Kentucky and just like losing to Towson or losing to Marshall last year would have been a bad loss. Um, losing to Kentucky would be a bad loss. And again, I, I do think that Kentucky is going to turn things around to some extent and, and make their net ranking look better than it is right now, which is 129th. Uh, but as it stands right now, this is a, uh, this is, I, I mean, it's, it's so much more than this, but 
at its bare minimum, I mean, straight up, this is like, this would be a very detrimental NCAA tournament loss or resume loss if Florida were to lose. And uh, man, the fact that it's um, Kentucky, that um, especially, man, I, I think the returners have got to think like that they played two good games against Kentucky and let it slip last year. They really don't want that to happen again. Uh, that man, this is a, this is a really important game. There's, there's no question. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Florida did really play well against a very good Kentucky team last year twice and, and could have won both games and won neither, neither of them. Um, I continue to, to beat on the Florida wins by 20. If Blackshear doesn't get hurt at home, I'm pretty convinced I'm right about that. But, uh, you know, that's not what happened. So it, I promise that will be the last time I mention this on, the, on this podcast, Eric. Uh, what I will say is that uh, Kentucky, you know, I spent a lot of time preparing for the Kentucky portion of the podcast, kind of asking the question, is Kentucky better than their three and six record? Or are they and are you are what your record says you are? And Eric, I'm interested in your answer because the answer I came up with was like, it's hard to say. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I guess the basis to like start my you know, reasoning process is like, let's look at the, let's look at the analytics. And, um, this is one where I get away from Ken Palm. Um, something that people who keep citing Ken Palm rankings need to remember is that, um, Ken Palm has a preseason algorithm. That's like their pr prediction. And that stays as part of the, the algorithm up until like January. So right now, some of that preseason algorithm is still baked into everything in Ken Palm. So it's not like actually the truest way to evaluate a team, especially one that is, uh, especially one that is, you know, drastically underachieving. Um, so, so right now Ken Palm has Kentucky as the 52nd best team in the country. Um, but, uh, some of the, uh, you know, some of the analytics like, like Evan Mia, who I shouted out earlier, and I know some people have went to check out his site and it's, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, or Bart Torvik, another one, um, another one that I really like that doesn't have preseason, um, that does have preseason numbers baked in. Um, they both have Kentucky in the seventies right now. Um, based on true performance of this year. So um, that that definitely colors my opinion of this Kentucky team. Um, but man, the, the the fact of the matter is look up and down their roster. Um, I, I think Brandon Boston is, is awesome. I really wanted Florida to get him when they were recruiting him. Um, he has not been very good. I think he is better than, than what he has shown. But then you look at some other pieces. Um, uh, Davion Mintz, a player who is like a good Big East player at Creighton, but but not not great. He was pretty good. Well, he's now relied on to be a high-level starter at Kentucky. Jacob Toppin, a player who was not a particularly good Atlantic 10 player. I mean, he was, you know, a freshman, so I'm not saying he, you know, it's not like he was supposed to be super good at uh, Rhode Island, but he was a player that played like 12 minutes a game in the Atlantic 10 for Rhode Island, and now he's relied on to play that same number of minutes at Kentucky. Um, you look at the players that they normally get that you think are like the, you know, top 10, uh, one and done NBA talent. Um, they didn't get those guys. So the, the guys that are normally top 10 are more like top 30 or top 40 this year. So uh, I, I really kind of look at their roster and say like, yeah, I, I think that they're better than what they've shown, but like not by that much, truthfully. Um, do I think that they're the 70th best team or do I think they're going to finish as the 70th best team? Uh, no, I don't. But I, I, I think that they're closer to like being the like, 45th best team in the country than they are being like a top 20 team. So uh, yeah, that's kind of my read. I think that's fair. It's interesting that, you know, while they've had a couple of games that they've lost that were very close, uh, Notre Dame on a buzzer beater, uh, 
the Kansas game comes to mind early in the season, right? Um, they've also had games where they really got pounded pretty good. Um, Richmond beat their pants off. Georgia Tech blew them out. Rid um, the Richmond game. Was that at Rupp or at a neutral site? I don't know. Uh, in any event, I that was it, that was at home. That was at yeah. Home. I think it was at Rupp. Oof. Yeah, and and Richmond's I think is pretty good, but still, uh, to to get beat that bad in Rupp Arena by them is it was kind of eye opening for everybody. Um, you know, one point you made. Well, I guess the let me finish the point I'm thinking of. They they've really relied on Dante Allen to like avoid being one and eight, and he was the lowest rated recruit on their roster the kyle trask of kentucky basketball <laughs> well the the one actual well i i i know it's not like that was like a totally one for one um uh-huh. uh, comparison between dante allen and kyle trask but the difference between kyle trask and, and dante allen was while kyle trask was biding his time as a backup in high school um dante allen was like a kentucky high school basketball legend and one of the highest um scoring players in, in kentucky high school basketball yeah. history so that was one thing so so here's my like i don't know if it's a hot take um I know some people might not like this, but I actually like don't hate Kentucky fans. I actually think a lot of the Kentucky fans that I at least see I see on Twitter and whatever my scope is, um, a lot of them are really intelligent basketball fans, and like a lot of them like truly love like Kentucky high school basketball as well. Like like hey, I'll just say like for example, I don't really like Duke fans generally. Um, Duke fans are the kind of fans that I don't really associate all the time with being like that knowledgeable about basketball. But I will say a lot of the Kentucky fans I know are are you know genuinely great basketball fans, and one of the things that Kentucky fans knew was that Dante Allen was, uh, you know, a superstar in high school in the state of Kentucky. And they also knew that he was known as a shooter. So for a Kentucky team that is absolutely dismal shooting the ball, they're currently, uh, they're currently 272nd in the country in three point percentage. Um, be, and they're shooting less than 30%. Um, they were, they really wanted to see Dante Allen play who for the first seven games of the season, um, hardly got in outside of, outside of uh, garbage time. So Mississippi State comes. Cal decides he doesn't want to look bad losing again. So he gets himself ejected. Um, and then, you know, Bruiser Flint or whoever was taking over as the assistant said, hey, Dante Allen, get in there. And, and then he goes seven for 11 from the three-point line. Um, and then against Vanderbilt, he goes two for five from the three-point line. So Dante Allen is really bringing up, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's really the only, you know, really capable shooter for a team that really struggles to shoot. And um, it is definitely bringing something to the mix that uh, they didn't have. So um, for whatever it's worth, um, you know, Dante Allen, who's bringing very valuable shooting, he wasn't there for, he wasn't really there playing for any of the, uh, any of floor or uh, any of Kentucky's bad losses in the non-conference, but he's played a big role in the last two games in sec play. And I think he's a reason why they went two and oh. Well, you know, Calipari said that he wasn't playing because he didn't know if, if Dante had figured out how to play any defense, because Cal will occasionally do something very candid like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a, like when Cal goes off script, it's actually super interesting. And that was something that he said after the Mississippi state game and Dante Allen kind of laughed it off. Uh, and, and I shouldn't compare like comparing legendary basic two star, only a three star. Cause he signed with Florida Kyle Trask to, <laughs> to right freshman Dante Allen, who was still a four-star prospect, just happens to be the lowest-rated scholarship player on their. Well, and, and and who knows what he was uh, what he was rated before uh, signing to Kentucky? I don't know that as a fact, but well, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a bump there. Yeah, no, he. I think he got a bump from a three-star to a four-star, but we're still talking about like a high three-star player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he was such a good scorer, 
and they really have relied on him, and, and he's a big reason why they're two and one in SEC play um, when or two and zero oh in SEC play rather. Uh, sorry, I forgot that their game with South Carolina was was canceled. So there, you know, Kentucky is is unbeaten in the league, um, despite the fact that, like you said, Brandon Boston, their highest rated recruit, the the one consensus top ten guy that they signed, um, not. Uh, playing particularly well. Uh, Terrence Clark, a, a, consensus, a five-star guy, McDonald's All-American, playing well but not shooting well. Um, you know, he's a really dynamic driver, Eric, a really guy, you know, a guy that can really get into the pain. I, after watching Alabama just crucify Florida on straight lines, I'm very worried about Terrence Clark just, like, going off and showing his draft film against Florida a little bit. Uh, he's also... I think a pretty capable passer with his size and length, they can move him all over the floor. That's the kind of player that's given Florida trouble, particularly without Keontae Johnson. Um, you know, but he hasn't finished at a high level at the rim. He's shooting 22% from three point range and he's shooting 46% at the line, even though he's shooting a lot of free throws. So, you know, those kinds of things you don't typically see from, from uh, Kentucky. And then the biggest problem all season has been, they are relying on Davion Mintz, who's, who didn't play much basketball uh, in the last two years um, because of some lingering ankle issues. And then Devin Askew, who was the number one point guard in the 2021 class, but reclassified, is struggling with the adjustment at his age. Uh, just quickly going back to to your concerns, um, I, oof, with the way Florida's defended, I don't want to say this um, too seriously, but I, but Neil, I do want to help you sleep a little better tonight. So, um, Kentucky as a pick and roll offensive team, and uh, they are currently 334th in the country in pick and roll offense. Um, so that is, uh, that's pretty bad for Kentucky. Um, and then they are, um, 319th in the country in isolation offense. And that's the one that really surprised me. I thought that, uh, they had some players that were, um, yeah, like a Terrence Clark that I thought would be a lot better in isolation. But um, as a whole, Kentucky has been very bad at pick and roll offense, and they've been very bad at, uh, at, at isolation offense. So for a Florida team that has struggled at both of those things, uh, that's got to look at least a, a little good. But man, I've got to say like... Like Olivier Saar, like very, you know, he was on a Wake Forest team that wasn't very good. So the sin kid talked about, but he was sneakily one of the best pick and roll big men in the country last year. So the fact that Kentucky just like is brutal uh, with pick and rolls, I think is like malpractice. I, I think Olivier Saar is the perfect, the perfect big man for who can, can catch lobs. He can catch on the short roll. He can pick yeah. and pop a little bit. Um, so, so again, I, I look at that and say like, Hey, if, you know, if they suddenly start looking good in the pick and roll because of Olivier Saar against Florida, uh, I guess it won't surprise me. Um, but, uh, that, that was one very encouraging number I saw was to see how poor Kentucky is, um, at, uh, at pick and roll offense and isolation offense. Yeah, it's crazy. I actually looked up a couple of his best games last year and like he had 25 against Duke and 18 of those were in the pick and roll, Eric. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's, he's truly fantastic. Yeah. He had 30 against Notre Dame, 18 in the pick and roll. So, I mean, he's, he's a terrific pick and roll player. was an all ACC player. Also probably the best pure rim protector Florida's played. That's a good point. I haven't really thought about that, but as soon as you mention it, it's like, oh yeah, that, that is true. Olivier Saar uh, likely is. So how that relates to, to how Florida wants to attack, like, do they decide to continue to play, 
you know, isolation ball against the, and here's the thing too, Brandon Boston, as much as I say, uh, you know, I really like him. He's struggled at shots and he's also been really bad defensively, like really bad in what I've watched, which made yep. the whole Dante Allen can't defend thing kind of funny to me because Brandon Boston, as much as he's the five-star guy, uh, Brandon Boston wasn't hitting shots and he wasn't defending whatsoever. So it, it, I didn't really understand the whole, like, well, I'm not sure if Dante Allen can defend. Cause it's like, well, um, you'd be putting him in for, for Baron and Boston who hasn't hit shots or defended either. So why not give him a, <laughs> um, give him a whirl. But, you know, I see Brandon Boston as a guy who, who Florida could attack in isolation. Um, other than that, I, I do think that some of these guys are, are better defenders than they've shown. And you know what, as much as, you know, the, the problem for Kentucky this year in, in all their losses really has been offense. Um, uh, again, this is not a true number because of Ken Palm's preseason prediction. Um, but, uh, uh, but Kentucky is 82nd in, in offense. Um, I, it was either Evan Mia or Bartorvik that Kentucky's in the hundreds. They're like 115 and that's unadjusted like, or sorry, that's adjusted for this season with no preseason baked in. So a more true look. So that's somewhere where Kentucky is, is, is in the, you know, in the hundreds in offense, but their defense has been, has been pretty good. And, and like you said, Neil, um, Olivier Saar is, is someone who can, can really anchor that, um, Isaiah Jackson as well. Um, another really good center when it comes to, to rim protection and defense. So, so Florida is going to go up against some, uh, against some kind of, uh, you know, quality defense at the rim, uh, coming off a game against, uh, against Alabama where they struggled in the paint. Yeah. And they're an excellent half court defense. They're 29th in adjusted defense efficiency on Bartorovic. And what's interesting to me about that is that they're 250th in turnover rate defense. So they're not doing what Kentucky often does to get those cheap points when, when they, you know, for whatever reason, Calipari's teams often have the issue shooting the ball, particularly early in the season. Um, they're not getting or producing a ton of turnovers to get out and run with guys like Terrence Clark, who has a little bit of that Michael Kidd Gilchrist in him where like, if man, if he gets going downhill in transition, forget about it. Right. And, and, but they're not producing enough of those plays, but they are getting stops. Um, so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Florida attacks that. I think the other big wrinkle in the game, and we don't know how healthy he will be, but Keon Brooks, uh, they're really their lone returning player from a season ago, um, has been cleared to play. And, and obviously he clobbered Florida in the uh, comeback uh, last March. <laughs> uh, yeah, which was I. One of the only times that Keon Brooks played played particularly well, he he, he had a pretty. I mean, yeah, he had a pretty rough uh, rough season that kind of saw him get a couple like garbage time only games. Um, was not a huge factor for them, so that just made him coming in and hitting a couple shots against Florida. Uh, that made it hurt, but but again, I I, I don't think he. I don't really know what to think about Keon Brooks. I just I wasn't I wasn't particularly impressed with what I saw him. Other than yeah, he had a had a good stretch against against Florida and um, hit some big shots. But uh, you know, as he is a, uh, you've got to think that as a returning six foot seven player, he is going to bring some better defense than like uh, Brandon Boston at six foot seven, who hasn't been able to defend. Uh, maybe he's not able to hit many shots. But I mean, this is a Kentucky team that if they're going to win any games this year, it's going to be because of, be because of their defense. I just, you know, it, Kentucky's never really a great offensive team. They they usually win games with their defense. So. Uh, I, I kind of see this this being the same thing. I, I can't really see them figuring things out too much offensively. So if he is another body that can, um, you know, can stymie Florida, that's uh, there's a chance. But um, you know, you see this Kentucky team where uh, they've defended 
okay, not great. Uh, but then their offense has been awful. And then you look at Florida, whose offense has been pretty good and their defense has been not not so good, but but not awful. Um, it's a couple things that kind of say like, well, like is Kentucky really going to punish Florida's defense that's looked shaky at times? It's like I'm not I'm not totally sure they're they're going to. Um, I don't want to eat my words here and have Kentucky, you know, have their one game where they go off from three. Uh, but uh, yeah, seeing seeing the avenues to Kentucky really dominating Florida, it's it's a it, it's a little tough. Yeah, it's it's a stretch, and you know, I think it's important to note that they had a double overtime win against a Mississippi State team that that I don't think terribly highly of, uh, and then they beat a Vanderbilt team that we think is towards the bottom of the SEC at home uh, by three points. <laughs> so let's not get wait, wait. <laughs> With the with the tying bucket halfway down, touching every part of the rim and, and spilling out for Vanderbilt. Right. Like, let's not get carried away with with the Kentucky Renaissance here. This is still a Kentucky team that lost six games in a row for the first time in in a hundred years uh, at that program. Well, not a hundred, um, ninety four, close enough, right, Eric? Um, sure. And then it's still a program where John Calipari openly admitted that. You know, he's not sure what leadership he has beyond Olivier Saar and Keon Brooks. And they had to remove Cameron Fletcher from the basketball team uh, because he didn't like his playing time, which, you know, that just is something that's way, way unusual for their their culture there, uh, where they <laughs> all seem to blend things in. I mean, you bring in guys like Carl Anthony Towns, John Wall, Devin Booker, Tyler Hero, Jamal Murray, Eric's boy, uh, all those guys, you know, come in and they've accepted their roles. Like they do that with NBA talent. So for Cameron Fletcher to kind of blow up the whole team for two games. Well, well, here's, here's the difference. Right. Um, play, playing a small role on a winning team is okay. Playing a small role on a team that sucks um, isn't, you know, right. like um, right. I, I think that probably Cameron Fletcher was, was going to be okay getting some DNPs and playing, you know, four minutes a game. If, if Kentucky yeah. was going to be a top 10 team, um, he's seeing Richmond taking their lunch money. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and not, not playing like I, like that's gotta be rough. So, but, but Hey, at the same time, I, I forget what Cameron Fletcher was. I think he was like in the sixties or maybe the, like 50, 60s or seventies or, or something like that in the recruiting rankings uh, i mean man if you're a team like florida who kind of goes after guys in that range i think i think you've got to be able to say like hey you want to go to kentucky like l- l- look at this not you you might end up not playing and and kentucky might not be good you know start telling these kids hey i i, I know you might be willing to go play a role for kentucky if it's going to be a final four team um but look how quickly it can be a, a team that might not make the nit um that's a slight exaggeration but hey you start one and six yeah you, you, you don't you don't know you don't know what happens but uh but yeah that's that's kind of the thing it's like uh that's how quickly things can kind of fall apart in, in college basketball where you think you're about to be uh you're about to be a you know a role player for a final four team and you know it ends up being this year's kentucky team i i can i can i i feel like that's the difference in, in buy-in there so as much as you know john calipari goes to twitter and says like starts calling out the kid which i thought was crazy um, wasn't a really big fan of that look at all. No, uh, I I, I kind of thought like, you know, as much as John Calipari's like, you know, we have a culture here. Um, well, your culture is usually not to get completely outclassed by the Georgia Techs and no- Notre Dames of the world. So, uh, you know, you've got to hold up your part of the your part of the the culture, and then you know your your role players should too. And 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 that's not an entirely fair way to look at the situation. But I thought it was worth noting when when Calipari goes to Twitter to 
you know, roast is one of his kids. I, I, yeah, I think, I think someone should have pointed out to him that like, you know, maybe Cameron Fletcher is not holding up his part of the bargain, but Hey coach, neither are you. Yeah. I think that's a great perspective on it. And I'll be honest, it's not necessarily one that I've thought of because we are, I guess, so used to their one and done's kind of, you know, you just wonder how Calipari and that staff mix it up like that, but they, they haven't done that yet this year. It's, you know, it was a well-chronicled issue with, with the NIT team. But I look at that NIT team that lost to Robert Morris in the first round of the NIT, and, you know, Eric, there are similarities in terms of what the problems were. Uh, you know, they didn't really figure it out at point guard. Uh, they weren't particularly safe with the basketball. Kentucky right now 228th in offensive turnover rate. Um you know, which is really high for a Kentucky team. They didn't produce turnovers. They couldn't get out in transition. And they had too many nights where they were five for 20 from downtown. Those things look like this team. Yeah, and once again, I mean, so that, um, just looking on Ken Palm, that team ended up 55th in in Ken Palm, that Kentucky team that lost in the NIT. Um, Right now, according to Ken Palm, Kentucky's 52nd, where, like I said, um, that number's not even particularly accurate and is getting propped up by the the preseason um, ratings where Kentucky was 12th in Ken Palm. So Kentucky's really closer to being like the 70th or, you know, somewhere in the 70s right now. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, you see the similarities and you also say like, well, and I, I would actually say I was going to say it even before I looked at these numbers, um, but I think this Kentucky team is is you know definitely worse. Obviously, you have the uh, the injury that uh, that really changes things for uh, for Kentucky with um, uh, why am I blanking? Nerlens Noel, um, yeah, that was stuff um, right. for with him. But but I mean, you look up and down that roster, and it's Willie Colley Stein, it's Kyle Wilcher, it's Alex Poitras, it's Archie Goodwin. Like that team had uh, had a lot more players that uh, you know were legitimate you know, high major fantastic players than, than this, this current Kentucky team has. So, uh, man, um, as I, you know, as we go off, just talking about this, you know, quote unquote, historically not great Kentucky team. This is, this is one that just, uh, man, it would be, it would be devastating for, for Florida to lose. There's, there's no question. Yeah. They got to get it on their home floor. I think they got to get these next two on their home floor. If you have big time, uh, SEC championship aspirations. And I know the team, you know, one comment I love from from the team after the Alabama loss was like, you know, we're going to keep going. We're going to play. We're going to keep playing hard for Keontae. We're not going to, you know, let this loss beat us twice. And, I, you know, that's the kind of leadership you expect from Noah Locke. But it's good to, and refreshing to hear him talk about that um, because I think this is a huge five-game stretch for Florida coming up. with, And it starts with Kentucky at home. But Florida has three games at home that are all losable, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. They have two on the road that you'd think you'd get, Miss State and Georgia, although Georgia is vastly improved. Uh, but but there's also the chance to, like, you know, really, like if you go four and one in this stretch and come out of it six and two in the SEC, you start to feel pretty good about your chances to compete for a league title. Yeah, I mean, as much as uh, you you lose to Alabama, which is maybe not a loss you totally expected, it's not one that's inexcusable. There's no question. Uh, but the fact that Alabama takes one off Tennessee, um, that that you know that that leaves things open after Florida loss. So now it looks like, hey, may I, I don't think anyone is legitimately thinking quite yet. Like, oh, this is now Alabama's league. But 
Uh, it's it's certainly open. And uh, one thing that I do think is pretty favorable for Florida is if you look at their last um, like six or seven games, they've got like Texas A&M, um, Arkansas, of course, Arkansas is pretty good, but then they've got Georgia, Auburn, Kentucky, and Missouri to end the season. And um, Missouri is a team that I know everyone's going to say, oh, look, like Missouri's been um, been awesome. They're whatever, ranked 13th or whatever. I'm guessing they dropped, I guess, they're go- or they're going to drop after losing to drop Mississippi one, State the other day. But, um, but, uh, you know, the, the predict, like all the, all the analytics say that Missouri is not as good as their record indicates, um, which I would agree with. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, anyways, I, I look at that like Florida's got a very favorable end of, end of their season. There's six games that I, you've got to think that they are, they've got to be looking at like, can we go five and one there? So you just kind of beat the teams you're supposed to win. You know, you maybe take, take a tough one off. Like, like, let's see if you can split Tennessee. Um, right. you, you, you win the games you're supposed to win and yeah, they should be, they should be somewhere near the top. And, uh, you know, one thing too, and there's, there's no reason to be alarmed after a loss to a good Alabama team, but you know, overall the sec did not do very good in the non-conference portion. Um, they've obviously got the chance against the big 12 to boost that. Uh, but, uh, I don't know how many teams, teams i think are gonna make the ncaa tournament from the sec i don't know what you think neil but like it wouldn't shock me at all if it's like four only so uh man if you know if if florida were to take some 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 losses unexpectedly and they do fall to like fifth in the sec um without having that much on their non-conference slate because of the you know the situation that was uh yeah it could get uh you could actually get dicey pretty quick but hey you could also like you said it could get really good really quick and florida could be could be at the top of the league right like if kentucky does improve and you you win these two games that are coming up i think you you put at least one what i think will be a quality win against ole miss on your resume and you know kentucky could become that and uh, the other thing to think about with these next few games is you just can't afford to get upset Saturday because now Ole Miss, we've got the news uh, as we record on Thursday night that the, the Gamecocks' COVID issues are still uh, limiting South Carolina. So Ole Miss will have almost a whole week to prepare for Florida. And, and uh, you know, those layoffs can go either way. But, you know, I don't know, Kermit Davis looking at Florida's film for – uh, in an, an entire week should scare everyone. So uh, a very yeah, big that, game. That was, that was a recipe for them to hammer Florida um, after Florida hammered them last season as a, yeah. to remind people. <laughs> so I think uh, it's just a very big uh, two-game homestand here for the Gators uh, and another short turnaround with Ole Miss on the other end. Uh, Ole Miss will be coming off a long layoff, but that's just Kermit in the video room. Uh, Florida really needs this one against their rival and, and also to break uh, what's a four-game losing streak against Kentucky now as well. So, um, you know, three of those games, very competitive, but all losses nonetheless. So uh, we'll be back uh, to break down the Florida-Kentucky game on Sunday. It'll be my first uh, game masked up in, in the O'Connell Center this year. And... Um, Eric and I will will put together another show for you guys. Thanks for listening.